Introduction. Iskadal ve Iskadash Shemei Rabba. Bialmadi Vrochi Ruse ve Amlich Malchuse, Bechaye Chon of a Yamechon of a Chaye de Cholbeis Israel, Bagala of Isman Koriv ve Imru Amen. Peace be upon you, and welcome to the story of Ballybock Jewish Cemetery, the oldest known Jewish burial ground in Ireland. Dating back over 300 years to 1718, this cemetery is the final resting place of generations of Dublin's Jewish community. By the late 1890s, the cemetery here in Ballybark Fairview fell into disuse as a new graveyard in Dolphin's Barn was established closer to where the Jewish community in Dublin lived. The final burial took place in Ballybark in 1958 and the burial ground was officially closed 20 years later. Thanks to recent funding from Dublin City Council and the Department of Housing, Local Government and Heritage, the cemetery is now emerging from its decades-long hibernation. Essential conservation work has taken place on the mortuary house and the cemetery is being safeguarded and protected for future generations. In this audio guide, we will take you on a journey through the cemetery and its history, highlighting the fine architectural features and burial places of famous politicians and members of the Jewish community. We will hear about the history of the Jewish people in Ireland and how they have contributed to Irish society. You will also hear the voices of local Jewish people sharing their faith and customs with you. The History of Jewish People in Ireland The earliest official reference to Jewish people on the island of Ireland comes from the Annals of Inish Fallen. Written about a thousand years ago by monks, the Annals record that five Jews came from overseas with gifts to Tordelbach Uabrian, the King of Thomond a place that was once in the province of Munster in Southern Ireland. The annals also record that Uar Kinfeilad, the king of the Dacia, a region encompassing County Waterford and parts of South Tipperary, travelled to Jerusalem in 1080. Though this is the first official reference to Jewish people in Ireland, a popular myth sprang up in the 19th century claiming an older connection. According to the myth, the Irish were one of the lost tribes of Israel that followed the prophet Jeremiah after the destruction of the holy city of Jerusalem. This tribe was called Dan, and some 19th century academics believed there was a connection between the Jewish tribe of Dan and the mythical race of the Tuatha de Danann, who supposedly lived in Ireland in prehistoric times. They also thought that there was a link between the hill of Tara in County Meath and the Jewish holy book called the Torah. So, in the 1800s, antiquarians connected to the British Israel Association of London excavated the hill of Tara and caves strand in Malahide, where they believed the Ark of the Covenant was stored. No evidence of the Ark or the Lost Tribe were found, though unfortunately a number of monuments were damaged in the process. 
Another reference to Jewish people in Irish history comes from the 12th century when a Jewish financier from Gloucester in England named Joss helped finance the deposed King of Leinster, Dermot MacMurrah, retake his lands in Wexford. After this, very little was recorded of Jews in Ireland for the rest of the Middle Ages. Once, an edict for their expulsion was issued by King Edward I of England in 1290. Jews began to reappear in Ireland after the Reconquista or the Reconquest of Spain by the Christians in the 15th century. Before this, the Jewish community flourished in Spain under Moorish Muslim rule. Their numbers increased so much that they became one of the largest Jewish groups in any European country. However, this changed when the Spanish king and queen issued an edict in 1492, which forced Sephardic Jews to either choose exile or baptism into the Christian faith. Over 100,000 Sephardic Jews left Spain and Portugal. Many settled in Amsterdam, North Africa, and the Middle East, but some migrated to Britain and Ireland. The Sephardic Jews who settled in Ireland established Dublin's first synagogue in Crane Lane, close to Temple Bar, in the 1660s. This small population of Sephardic Jews were later joined by Ashkenazi Jews, who had their roots in Central and Eastern European countries. The Jewish population of Ireland was relatively small throughout the 18th and 19th centuries, when Ballybock Cemetery was primarily in use. From 1835 to 1892, the Dublin Hebrew Congregation had about 300 to 500 members, who attended the synagogue at Mary's Abbey, off Mary Street in the city centre. In the 1880s, Jews fleeing persecution in Russia began to arrive in Ireland. They were more religious and followed stricter rules than the existing congregation who worshipped in Mary's Abbey Synagogue. In 1892, the congregation moved to the newly created Adelaide Road Synagogue to facilitate the larger number of new arrivals who settled in nearby Portobello. Within 20 years, Jewish numbers in Ireland rose to 5,000 members, 3,000 of whom lived in Dublin. Many of these new settlers came from one small area in modern-day Lithuania seeking religious and economic freedom. Some of these Jewish settlers left after a short while for England or America, but others stayed in cities like Belfast, Cork, Dublin and Limerick. They lived in areas informally known as Jewtown in Cork or Little Jerusalem in Dublin. Many new synagogues were established, and Jewish people were to be found in all aspects of Irish life, from politics and medicine to the arts and trades. Some members of Ireland's Jewish community even contributed to the country's independence. For example, the aptly named Robert Emmett Briscoe was a member of Sinn Féin and the IRA during the War of Independence. He was a confidant of Michael Collins and helped to bring one of the largest shipments of military equipment to the IRA. After the War of Independence, he became a founding member of Fianna Fáil, 
and later became Lord Mayor of Dublin, as did his son, Ben. Following World War II, the Jewish population of Ireland started to diminish. Of the 14 million-plus believers who practice the Jewish faith worldwide, less than 2,000 of those live here in Ireland. Today, most of the community is to be found in the suburbs of South Dublin, close to the synagogues at Terenure or at Gar. History of Ballybock Cemetery Ballybock, which translates as poor town in Irish, has changed dramatically over the centuries. A couple of hundred years ago, you would have been standing near a small fishing village where the River Tolka met the Irish Sea. This area often felt the crash of waves, whose ebb and flow may even have reached what is now the boundary walls of the cemetery. The wet and marshy mudflats of the estuary were later reclaimed and became a suburb of Dublin. Proximity to the sea would indicate that some newly arrived Jews remained briefly in this area. But most Jews settled in the inner city around Crane Lane. And later generations attended the synagogues that developed in Marlborough Street, Stafford Street, now Wolf Tone Street, and Mary's Abbey. The Jewish community required a burial ground outside the confines of a town or city, in accordance with the Orthodox Jewish law, Halakha. In 1718, they rented land from Captain Chichester Phillips, the owner of Drumcondra Castle. But the land did not have a physical boundary, which is essential for a Jewish cemetery. Dublin's Jewish community could not afford to build a stone wall. So, they applied to a number of Jewish congregations in England for help. Many refused. But the congregation of Bevis Mark Synagogue supported them, and thus a bond of unity was created. This bond was called upon again around 1748, when the local Jewish community fell into arrears and were unable to pay the rent. Things were looking desperate. But the congregation of Bevis Marks, now the oldest continually used synagogue in the UK, came to the rescue and kindly paid the money owed in rent. They also went one step further and leased the land for 1,000 years. According to the contract, they paid £34, 10 shillings up front, but only charged the local Jewish community one peppercorn a year in rent. Thanks to their generosity, Dublin's Jewish community could continue to use the cemetery for another 200 years. The last burial here was in 1958, and Ballybock Cemetery officially closed 20 years later in 1978, making it the longest used Jewish burial ground in Ireland. In fact, it is also older than most of the Jewish cemeteries found in Britain. Burial Practices There are many fascinating customs and rituals relating to the burial practices in the Jewish faith. To tell us more about these practices, we will now hear from Rabbi Lent, Rabbi at the Dublin Hebrew Congregation. Often when 
relatives pass away and loved ones leave this world. So those that are left behind spend a lot of time grieving and, and, and suffering. But it is, in Jewish tradition anyway, it's, it's important to understand that it's not the soul that's grieving, it's the relatives who are grieving the loss. For the soul, the soul's returning home. And the way that we look at uh, the world is that we have the present world that we live in, the physical world, which is compared to the, the lobby or the foyer of the main building. When we pass away, the body gets buried, but the soul passes through the doors into the main building, into the main room, reunited with, with its source. And so for the soul, that's something good, that's something happy, that's something pleasant. For the people left behind, we have the difficult time with that. In terms of preparation before burial, so there are, um, there are a range of preparation steps that are done with the body, but basically what it entails is a washing down of the body so the body is cleansed in a very respectful fashion. Uh, and then a certain amount of water is poured over the body, which kind of is the equivalent of an immersion in a ritual pool. So if you don't have the pool to do the bathing, so water is poured over the body. Uh, and then the deceased is dressed in a, a set of clothing. Now, these are made of white linen. They're called, well, in English, we call them shrouds, but in Hebrew, tachrichim. And, and they would be similar to the clothes worn by the kohen, by the priest doing the service in the holy temple. So there'd be uh, like a trousers, a jacket, a, a hat. And this is a very powerful symbolism that uh, um, death is the soul returning home. It's a time of purity. And so the, these clothes are, are symbols of purity. Every Jewish community will have a special society, the burial society, and actually they're called the holy burial society. In Hebrew, the Chevra Kadisha. And there's a women's team and a men's team. And this is a, a totally voluntary organization. Uh, and it is held in, in great esteem. Th these are the people that get no reward. Uh, in fact, the expression that we use is chesed shel emet. It's true kindness because there's no recompense. No one's paying you. It's all volunteers. And people will, in the middle of their day job, they'll, you know, they hear that someone has passed away. They'll drop everything and, and they'll head off to, to make sure that the deceased can be buried as, as soon as possible, make sure the family arrangements are all made. And, and they will take care of the, of the deceased so that the, the family don't have to worry at all about any of those arrangements. They just have to get their flights uh, and come in or make the, the small arrangements and the burial society will take care of everything. Um, and it's, it's, it's really a, a wonderful, caring group of people. In Jewish communities where they have the personnel, there is an important mitzvah, which is a, a good deed, and that is to accompany the deceased from when they've passed away until the time of burial, that someone sits next to the deceased, usually reading psalms or you know, reading some kind of prayers. And the idea is that the soul, we believe that the soul stays near the body until the burial. And so it's very comforting that someone stays there. And in fact, you'll find sometimes people talking to the deceased as if, as if they're still there. Now, in, in communities like in Dublin now, which is a very small community, that's not always very possible to have people sit through the night. And, and just also the way that the systems work now, that bodies go into a mortuary and there's not always access. So it has slightly changed. But in larger Jewish communities, definitely that system still exists where people, uh, relatives or volunteers, stay with the body all through the night uh, until time of burial. 
So Jewish burial practice hasn't really changed much over the centuries and even millennia. Everyone is the same, everyone's treated the same in, in death, whether rich or poor, famous or unknown. Uh, and one of the signs of that would be the coffin. S some communities actually don't bury in a coffin. Uh, the, the deceased are just wrapped in a prayer shawl and buried as they are. But if there is a coffin, the coffin will always be the same for everyone, a plain pine wood coffin. And that doesn't matter if you're a multimillionaire or, or a penniless pauper, it's the same. So in death, we're all equal and we don't take any of our material possessions with us. That's an important sign. In traditional forms of Judaism, the timeline is very, very short between passing away and burial. It should be done as soon as possible, if possible, the same day. And this is so that the body can return back to where it came from. If there is a delay that's needed for the honor of the deceased, so for example, if children have to fly in in order to say the memorial prayer, etc., so then there can be some delay, but it really should be kept uh, as short as possible. So after the burial, the mourners will return home, and then there's a practice which we call Shiva. Shiva just literally means seven, uh, because it's seven days, it, it's a week. And what happens is that the mourners, normally they'll stay in, in the same house. Uh, they will wear non-leather shoes. They'll be sitting on a low, uh, like low to the ground on a cushion or on a low chair. And they will actually wear the clothing that they've torn during the burial ceremony. They'll tear the clothing and that stays on for the week. So you're, you're basically only washing and, and changing clothes for hygiene purposes. But other than that, you're meant to feel a bit uncomfortable sitting close to the ground. Uh, not wearing comfy shoes and wearing your torn clothes. And it's quite a, an intense week where, where one is meant to focus very much on, on the deceased. Traditionally, we would cover the mirrors in the home uh, and there's no TV or movies. It's, it's, it's a serious time. And what's most, I, I suppose, cathartic about this whole week of Shiva is it gives time for the family to, to, to grieve, to, to get kind of most of the extreme intense grief out of their system. And there's this lovely custom where friends and neighbors and relatives will come through that week. They'll come to the house, bring uh, meals for the family so they don't have to cook for themselves. And they will sit and, and they will share, you know, the feelings. They, they will grieve with them and cry and laugh and share stories and memories. And what that does, it gives a whole week uh, for the relatives of the deceased to, to like, it's a whole range of emotions. There's going to be tears and laughter and joy and, and sadness um, but it's a whole week of that and then once that week is done you are a little bit more ready to go and face the world again. In Jewish tradition the graves or the cemetery are considered to be holy sacred space uh, and therefore we try very much that there shouldn't be any eating or drinking uh, even greeting one another is done away from from the graves. For Jewish people arriving at the at the graveside, so we don't have the tradition of placing flowers on the grave. Some have the tradition of placing a stone or a pebble as a marker on the grave to show that they have visited as a sign of respect. And then what's done when leaving the, uh, the cemetery or the graveside is washing of the hands. So usually in a Jewish cemetery, you'll see a sink with a, with a receptacle with a cup to wash hands in a, in a ritual fashion. Um, and that's done by Jewish people when they leave. Architecture of the Cemetery 
One of the first architectural features you may have noticed is the surrounding stone walls. Originally paid for by the Portuguese congregation of Bevismark Synagogue in London, the walls have been repaired and rebuilt over the centuries. A small building known as Cohen's Hut was built within the walls around 1798. This is believed to have been built by the Cohen brothers, who were lead pencil manufacturers at Charlemagne Bridge, Dublin. This hut was later replaced by another building, known as the Mortuary House, Prayer House, Caretaker's Cottage, or Gate Lodge. This building may have been multi-purpose. Its large size is unusual, as not many mortuary houses are two-storied. The ground floor would have been used to prepare the deceased before burial and as a gathering place after burials. The upper floor may have been a residence of a caretaker whose job was to watch over the recently deceased and their graves. The inscription on the plaque over the front door reads, Built in the year 5618. This confuses many, and can look as if the building was built 3,000 years in the future. However, this date is based on the Hebrew calendar. We are used to using the Gregorian calendar, which is Christian in nature, and based on the birth of Jesus, but Jews follow the Hebrew calendar. So the year of construction 5618 in Hebrew equates with the year 1857 in the Gregorian calendar. The Hebrew language and calendar are used on the graves in the cemetery along with uniquely Jewish symbols, such as six-pointed stars and hands carved on the headstones. The star is called the Star of David. Shield of David, or Magan David, and is considered a primary symbol of Judaism. The carved hands on the headstones are known as Birkat Kohenim, or the Blessing Hands, and are associated with the priestly class, or Kohenim. Sometimes there are stones or pebbles left beside the headstone. This is a Jewish tradition and shows that someone has visited the grave. There used to be many more headstones in this cemetery, but over time they have been damaged, vandalized, and even stolen. Unfortunately, Jewish headstones have been looted from this cemetery to construct some of the older houses in the area. One reference from 1816 claims that a Jewish man visited a nearby Christian friend doing repair work on his house. When the Jewish man looked closely at the refurbished chimney, he saw Hebrew words written on the stone. On closer inspection, he was shocked to see his father's gravestone had been used to build the fireplace. Though only 148 grave markers physically remain, records do exist for many more burials dating back to 1748. Notable Burials Yvonne Altman O'Connor from the Irish Jewish Museum will now tell us more about other burials in the cemetery. We must remember that at, as this was the only Jewish cemetery in Ireland in the 18th and 19th century, 
It was the resting place of Jews who died in any place on the island. So it is that Benjamin Crabb, who died in Kilkee, County Clare in 1856, was buried here, as was anyone who died at sea crossing from Liverpool or Holyhead. Children's graves comprise more than one third of those buried here, but often they did not have a headstone. In one year alone, 1859, such was the incidence of scarlatina amongst young children that there were 10 children's deaths in succession. There are a number of interesting burials in the cemetery, including that of Moses Jacob Cohen. Born in Polish Prussia in 1683, Moses was a little person and supposedly measured two and a half feet tall. Throughout his life, he worked as a traveling acrobat, performing in numerous countries across Europe before settling down in Ireland. Moses died in Dublin in February 1748, aged 65. His funeral here in Ballybock attracted wide attention and was attended by many members of the travelling show and the wider Jewish community. Some of the Jews who settled in Dublin during this time had come from well-known religious families in Germany or Poland. Jette Cohen, married to Wolf Cohen, president of the congregation in the 1870s, was the daughter of Reb Shlomo Levin, the cantor of Rogosen. The Cohens lived in Gardner Street, and many of the Jewish weddings took place in their home. Yete died in 1877 and is buried here. Alexander Lazarus ben Mohel was born in Berlin in 1788, the son of Rabbi Eliezer Lazai, the Dayan or ecclesiastic judge of Hamburg and formerly of Posen. His profession is recorded as a furrier, but he also held leading roles in the Dublin Hebrew congregation and died in 1839. His wife, Rosa Chaim, was known for her extraordinary charitable acts to the poor citizens of Dublin in the area around St. Patrick's Cathedral, where she lived. Her husband's brother, Nathan Ben Mohel, was the first Jew to receive a degree from the Anglican University and was deputy professor of French and German at Trinity College in the 1840s. However, over the course of his life, he had moved away from his Jewish roots, and upon his death in 1869, a debate ensued whether he should be allowed to be buried in Ballybock Cemetery. Out of respect for Rosa Chaim, permission was granted, but only allowed on the periphery of the cemetery. Another family whose names can be found on headstones in this cemetery is that of the Davidson family. Reverend Isaac Davidson was the first minister at Mary's Abbey Synagogue. He died suddenly in 1844, leaving his widow Catherine and nine young children. Her brother, Moses Ansel, who had been secretary at the Great Synagogue in London, had come to Dublin a few years earlier and died in 1837. Tragedy followed shortly after her husband's death as her youngest son, Asher, was accidentally burned to death and another son, Solomon, drowned in the River Liffey. The congregation granted £10 to her son Joseph to emigrate to Australia at the age of 17. Catherine died in 1868 and is buried here. The name Rothschild is usually associated with banking, but the Rothschilds buried in Ballybock are not related to that family. This large Rothschild family came from Hamburg and were all involved in the specialty of cigar rolling. Both Tobias and Mark held senior positions at Mary's Abbey Synagogue. 
Fritz traded on Dame Street, where he also had a billiards room. His brother Robert dealt in snuff and tobacco in Upper Abbey Street, and Joseph had a cigar shop on Grafton Street. He had married Pauline in Paris before coming to Dublin in 1839, and she converted to Judaism. They were all buried in Ballybock Cemetery, along with their mother, Rebecca Rothschild, who died in 1849. Members of the famous musical Levenston family who are buried in Ballybock include Michael Jacob Levenston, his son Solomon Alexander Levenston, the father of Philip Michael Levenston, who famously led the orchestra at the Old Theatre Royal at the age of 12, and went on to become professor of music at the Royal Irish Academy, leading several orchestras, including the Vice Regal and Dublin Philharmonic Orchestra, as well as the Old Queen's Theatre Orchestra. Members of the family who had a dancing academy in Frederick Street are immortalised in James Joyce's Ulysses. And so it is that the memory of the Jewish souls who lived in Ireland and were buried here at Ballybock live on through their descendants who can be found throughout the world today. Memorials In the cemetery behind the mortuary house, there are a number of headstones made of limestone, with examples of sandstone and granite dotted in between. Most of the headstones in the cemetery faced east towards the rising sun and the holy city of Jerusalem. The Jewish burial practice of headstones facing east was adopted by early Christians and can be found in cemeteries across Ireland. Cut into the stone as a marker for all eternity are the names of the dead, often written in both English and Hebrew. Dates of death are also written in the Gregorian and Hebrew calendars. Using the Hebrew language and calendar dates on the grave is an important way for mourners to honour their loved one's heritage, religion and ethnicity. The largest grave marker in Ballybock is a chest tomb located at the northern end of the cemetery. This is the final resting place of Alderman Lewis Wormser Harris. Born in Worms, Germany in 1812, Lewis settled in Ireland in 1833. He became a successful clothier and financier who served as president of the Dublin Jewish Congregation three times in the 1800s and helped establish the former Stafford Street Synagogue. In 1874, Lewis became the first Jewish man to be elected to Dublin Corporation, and after a difficult campaign, during which he endured substantial anti-Semitic press, he was elected Lord Mayor of Dublin in 1876. Unfortunately, Lewis died the day before he was due to take office and was buried here. His funeral was attended by the new Lord Mayor of Dublin, many prominent Christians and every Jew in Ireland. His tomb has granite legs and supports a limestone ledger slab. The inscriptions on the tomb are written in Hebrew and English and read, Lewis Harris, Alderman of the City of Dublin, died 1st August 5636, age 64. His family revered him, his fellow citizens honoured him. The memory of the just is blessed.
erected by his sorrowing widow. The Hebrew year of 5636 used on his tomb corresponds with the year of 1876. Lower down on the vault, another plaque written in Hebrew and English reads, They were lovely and pleasant in their lives, and in their death. They were not divided. Sacred to the dear memory of Juliet Harris, whose remains repose here next to her husband. She departed this life on the 12th of December 1908. Peace to her soul. Near the east wall is the grave of Lewis and Juliet's daughter-in-law, Maud Jeanette Harris, believed to be the last person interred in this cemetery. From one of the last burials in the graveyard, we will move to one of the earliest. Near the western wall is the oldest surviving headstone in the cemetery. Written almost entirely in Hebrew, this headstone marks the final resting place of Jacob Wills, who was born in France in 1701 and died in Dublin in 1777. Modern Judaism in Dublin Rabbi Lent will tell us more about modern Judaism in Dublin. The Jewish community in Dublin today looks very different than it did when the people buried here were alive. First of all, they would have spoken Yiddish, uh, they would have dressed very differently, but also they lived in a different location. The Jewish community now would be based more on the south side of Dublin. It's a very small community of a few hundred people. There is one Orthodox synagogue and one progressive synagogue. What's happened in the last couple of decades is that there's been an influx of young Jewish people from all over the world uh, coming to work for the, the big multinationals here, and that has really changed the face and is changing the face of the community and hopefully bringing a lot more vibrancy into the future. Jewish communities did exist in other cities around Ireland, but uh, slowly as they've faded away and they've closed and now the only communities left would be in Dublin and then a small community in Belfast in Northern Ireland. The Jewish community in Dublin and in Ireland today is quite different and much less observant than it used to be. There are some things that are still very important for Jewish families, so they would still keep life cycle events like circumcision, bat mitzvah, Jewish weddings, Jewish burial. Those things are important. In terms of uh, prayers, what used to be daily prayers three times a day, you know, that's, that's lessened to a large amount and people will come maybe on a Saturday morning for the Shabbat prayers or maybe just even three days a year, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur for the New Year and the Days of Atonement. And then many people would be careful about buying some kosher products, kosher meat, kosher poultry, that kind of thing. So it's a lot less observant than it used to be, but there are still some things that are very important. And, you know, people do feel very proud of their Jewish identity and want to keep that going and pass it on to the next generation. A very strong focal point in Jewish tradition is the Sabbath, or as we call it, the Shabbat. So that's from sundown on Friday until nightfall on, on Saturday. And that really is a time of rejuvenation. We call it the gift of Shabbat because it gives time to turn off all the devices, turn off the electronics, stop working and spend time focused on what's important, which is our connection with our family, with our loved ones and with God. And so it involves 
meals with great food, prayer, meeting friends after the services and some community spirit. And that is something that we all need. We sometimes we spend so much time focusing on our on our work life. We often forget. And once a week we get some time to, to really focus on the things that are important. The observance of the Sabbath day will vary depending on how observant you are. So if you're from a very religious or traditional family, uh, you will, the day will be filled with prayer and study and family and, and maybe walks and lots of reading, but no electronics as you move you know, away from that into more less, less observant Jewish families maybe would have you know, TV and phones and, and movies, but still would try to keep the tradition of the Friday night dinner with all the family together. Uh, sharing the news of the week. Conclusion Since the opening of the new Jewish cemetery in Dolphin's Barn in the late 1890s, this cemetery has seldom been used and has sadly fallen into decline. In 2017, Dublin City Council took Ballybock into their care and enabling works on the mortuary house were undertaken in 2020 to 2021. They have also cleared back excessive overgrown vegetation built up over the last 50 years and undertaken a laser scan of the monuments that will inform conservation, future enhancement works and further research. If you would like to learn more about Dublin's Jewish society, why not visit the Irish Jewish Museum in Portobello? The Irish Jewish Museum is situated in the old Walworth Road Synagogue that was in use from the early 1900s. We have been welcoming school groups, tours and individuals to visit since 1985. The museum has an interesting collection of memorabilia relating to the Jewish community of Ireland. There is an important textile collection, a turn-of-the-century kosher kitchen, and displays relating to religious and social life, all exhibited in the old-world atmosphere of Portobello. We hold regular open events highlighting aspects of Jewish history and culture. To learn more about the museum and the history of Jews in Ireland, and to find out about opening times, please visit our website, www.jewishmuseum.ie. This audio guide was written and produced by Abarta Heritage on behalf of Dublin City Council. Historical research was carried out by Dr. Coleman Dennehy. The script was written by Tara Clark. Narration was by Gary Montaigne, and the guide was produced in Bluebird Studios, County Dublin, with sound engineer Declan Nonagan and producer Tara Clark. Special thanks to Yvonne Altman O'Connor of the Irish Jewish Museum for all her assistance during the guide production, and to Rabbi Lent for his contributions to the guide. Thanks also to the Irish Jewish Museum for allowing access to the collections when the guide was being researched. If you would like to visit more of Dublin's fascinating historical burial grounds, visit Dublin City Council's website. Here, you will find additional free audio guides for the Huguenot Cemetery on Merrion Row and Cabbage Garden Cemetery in the Liberties. You can find more audiobooks to other heritage sites around Ireland on our website at abarthaheritage.ie. We hope you have enjoyed exploring Ballybox Cemetery and have spared a thought for those peacefully interred here. To end, we shall say shalom, or 
peace and goodbye in Hebrew.